Welcome to the Pathway Podcast. This episode is week three of our Life of Joseph series. Lead pastor Jeremy Flanagan explores how to always follow God even when we don't expect bad circumstances to change. He challenges us to become resolved to do the right thing with an expectant hope. Stay tuned after the sermon for this week's next steps. Through this series we've been talking about, through the story of Joseph, um, that we see, you know, in what has happened to him, that we've been talking about having and finding success. And one of the key things that you have to be able to do to find success in life is to be able to define a win, to be able to define what success looks like, to be able to define and, and, and look at and recognize the great things that God has done. And if you're unable to do that, then it doesn't matter in, in what location you live. It doesn't matter, you know, what you achieve. It doesn't matter the, the amount of good versus bad. If you can't learn to see God's blessings and if you can't learn to recognize when he has done something amazing, whether it's crafting a canyon or whether it is simply putting a relationship in your life that encourages you. If you can't learn to find that, then you will never see success. And we're at the point in Joseph's story today when if there was a point in time that he was ever going to give up, it would be right now. It would be in chapter 40. It would be in what we're about to read to you today, talking about the life of Joseph, because he reached a point that many of us, I think most of us, would, would have a hard time saying, man, I, I would have kept strong. Um, and so, but he was resolved. And that's the whole idea that we're going to look at today. We started off two weeks ago talking about our dreams, talking about his dreams and how they went unfulfilled. And, and sometimes in life, what we dream, what we think that success is going to look like for us and what we want out of life, it doesn't come right away. Sometimes it never comes, at least not in the way we had hoped for it. But in Joseph's life, uh, it was even worse because his dreams were things that people didn't simply not support him. His own brothers stood against him. And in life, you may have an idea about what my life needs to be like. You know, you may have an idea saying, this is what God wants from me. This is what my path forward should be. And you may find out that not everybody is supportive. And I said, you know, with his brothers, they weren't supportive because they didn't like his dreams. Other people may not be supportive because they're your dreams, not theirs. They've got their own stuff to worry about. They've got their own problems to deal with. And so they may not come behind you and push you forward because guess what? They're busy trying to, you know, dig out of their own hole. And so we just have to realize that if we have an idea of what, who God wants us to be or what God wants from us, we need to push forward no matter what. And last week we looked at the idea and, and talking about what do we do in life when it appears that everything is out of our control? What do we do in life when it appears that nothing we do is going to change our situation? How, how do we move forward? What are we supposed to do? And the whole idea, the key is that when it comes to finding success through following God, that we are never stuck in a corner. You may feel in life that you're cornered. You may feel that there's no way out of your bad situation. You may feel that all of your efforts seem to fall flat, but you are never stuck in a corner when it comes to being a success in the eyes of God. Because it doesn't matter what our life situations are, we can find success in God's eyes. And if that's what we feel is important to us, being successful in the eyes of God, then we can be successful through anything. You can follow God and choose to follow God even when everything else is falling apart. 
you can go forward and do what God would have you to do, even if you're not sure about anything else. And so if your idea of being successful in life is following God's plan, then you can find success and be successful anytime, any day. But today we're going to look at that idea of being resolved, of, of having that, you know, that mindset shift where we decide that we are going to be resolved to follow God. Now, being resolved to something is not always positive, right? You can choose to be resolved to the fact that your life is horrible and it's never going to get better. You can be resolved to the idea that your situation is never going to change and you're never going to be happy. You can be resolved to that. Or you can be resolved to the idea that if you continue to do the right things, that you can have an expectant hope for the future. It's not that doing the right things are always going to pay off in some grand way during life, but that you know that doing the right things can give you hope of finding joy, of living in peace, and in honoring God. And so you can be resolved that things won't get better, or you can be resolved that if you do the right things, that you can have an expectant hope. I mean, it's easy to tell that, right? And a lot of people, they may have a hard time understanding those two, you know, different ends of the spectrum. Um, but if you're a Razorback fan, if you've ever listened to talk radio, you hear those all the time. As excited as people are right now about Sam Pittman, right, and the Razorback team, as excited as they are after the win yesterday and the season and, you know, calling in and telling we're 3-1, and one, not 2-2, two and two, um, which it's, if, if you live long enough, this is about the third or fourth time the NCAA has changed rules because Arkansas got messed over so bad. But if you listen to talk radio, which I try not to do, okay, because you find two extremes. Sam Pittman is one bad loss away from people saying he needs to be fired, right? There's a handful of Arkansas fans that no matter who the coach is, no matter how good things are going, no matter how much it was better than it was yesterday, you're one bad day away from saying, wrong choice, got to get rid of him. And then there's other fans that we could lose 74 games straight before they say, you know what, I don't think we're in it the national championship hope this season. And so if you, if you go on to talk radio for Arkansas sports, that's all you hear. You never hear the people in the middle, right? You either hear the people that, you know, we only won by 73. We only won by 48 points. Ah, he's not going to get us there. Or, you know, that no matter what we do, we're a national championship hope. You choose the type of mindset you're going to have. Now, I'm not saying that things don't weigh on you and things don't push you into one direction or another. But at the end, you have to make a choice about which plant you're going to feed, Right? Are you going to feed those ideas that the life is not working out and that things are terrible and that I can't change things? Well, if that's what you're going to feed, that's what you're going to get. If you starve the idea that doing the right things the right way can help your life move forward, even under horrible circumstances, if you starve that, that hope will die. And so we as individuals, as followers of Christ, have to choose who we are going to be. Are we going to be resolved to failure? Are we going to have an expectant hope no matter what we face? That's your choice to make. You can't affect all the things surrounding you, okay? You may be dealing with horrible things that you have no control over. You have no control. You didn't get it here. You know, 90% of the problems that we face are our own. But there are some people who are flipped and, and you know, 80, 90% of their life is out of their control. And they didn't cause the mess they're in. Doesn't matter where you're at, though. You're 100% in control of choosing to have an expectant hope and follow God or say, it doesn't matter, I give up. 
So here's Joseph in chapter 40. Joseph in chapter 40, if you haven't been here in the last couple of weeks, he was 17 years old. He was working for his father. They were shepherds. Um, he, you know, told on his brothers, which is what his father has to do, give a report of what's going on, and it wasn't always a good report. So they didn't like him for that. He was clearly the favorite of his father, which was a bad move by his dad. Uh, and then you see then going further that Joseph had dreams that God was going to have him rule over his family. Brothers didn't care for that. Sold him into slavery. Last week we talked about he was a slave in the house of Potiphar, in the house of one of the captains of the guard for the Pharaoh. And so while being in that house gave him some great opportunities to see the kind of the inner workings of upper government and learn their culture and their language and other things that became beneficial to him, he was still a slave who was then accused of trying to have an inappropriate relationship with Potiphar's wife, even though he tried to avoid her nonstop. Um, but still, she lied and had him thrown into prison. And so that's where we are today. Genesis chapter 40 and verse 1. It says, Sometime later, so this is after Joseph is thrown into prison, sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials, and he put them in the prison where Joseph was, in the palace of the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned to them to Joseph, who looked after them. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today, he asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. So Joseph's path to get here, to this part today, was that he did what his, his dad told him to do, and his brothers didn't like him for it. Maybe he didn't have to necessarily tell his dreams out loud to his brothers, but he did because they were from God, and he was excited. I'd be excited if I got dreams that I knew were from God and everything else, but his brothers hated him for it. He got sold into slavery, taken to Egypt, and God blessed him because of his character, his hard work, his trustworthiness, all those good characteristics. Because of that, it said Potiphar entrusted his whole house to him and didn't have to worry about a thing except what to eat that day. And like I said last week, Joseph probably even took that out of his hands most of the time and had dinner ready when he came home. Had all the servants having everything to go. Potiphar didn't have to worry about a thing because he trusted him so much. And God blessed his household because of Joseph. Then after Joseph was thrown into prison, we saw last week it said that he did well in prison. And the prison guard, the person who was in charge of the prison, kept elevating Joseph. So he was like the trustee in prison because he could, he could have confidence in him. And Joseph was, you know, not mean to the other prisoners. He wasn't, you know, he was a, a just person. And so he could let him lead. Everywhere Joseph was, he lived the right way and he did the right thing. He wasn't perfect, okay? I'm not saying he was perfect. But in the story, I mean, more than not, Joseph did the right thing. And because of that, God blessed. God blessed him wherever he was at. But where he was at was in horrible places. Like I said, he was going in the reverse path that we would want. From his father's house to a prisoner, or to a slave to a prisoner. And so his trajectory was going downward from what you would want for your life, but yet he stayed firm. 
Now, we don't know how long he had been in prison at this point in time. I always kind of figure about 10 or 11 years. We know he was a, a slave and a prisoner for a total of 13 years. You'll find out in Genesis 41 next week, he was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, and he was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. I'm not that great at math, but that's 13. So 13 years, he was either a slave or a prisoner. And I figured that within the end of this story, within a couple of years is when he got released. So at this point in time, it was at least four or five, but I think maybe nine, 10, 11 years, he had been a slave and a prisoner. He had been accused of rape. He had been thrown in, in uh, prison unjustly after being sold as a slave unjustly. And here these guys have dreams. They're upset. And Joseph comes to them and says, interpreting dreams is God's business. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. How in the world had he gone from here down to there down to there and never didn't deserve any of it? He had done nothing to deserve all the bad things that happened in his life. How did he make that huge drop and still have faith in God? Not just faith in God, but confidence in God that God would interpret their dreams. And not just that, but a, a followership of God to where... He said, and God will do it through me. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. Can you imagine going through that hard and difficult a period of your life and still at the end of that journey, while still being in prison, saying, I still believe in God. God is still good. And God's still using me. That's where Joseph was. Now, if you can't look at yourself today and say that you would be able to say those three things, don't feel alone, right? Don't feel alone. This is an uncommon attitude. This is an amazing point of view that Joseph had. And it is a, it is a stellar story of faith. How in the world did he get to this point and say, God is still good, He's still in, you know, interpreting dreams, and he's still going to use me to do it. I still have faith. That's an amazing statement that I can't always make in my life. I haven't always made in my life. Now, I've, I've usually gotten two out of three, right? You know, I'll usually say I still have faith in God, and God is still good, does good things. But I'll put that whole God is going to do things through me right now or I'm even willing to let God do things through me right now, I'll put that one on the shelf. I, I know God is God. And because I know God is God, and I know God does good things, when my situation is bad, that's when I get angry. Right? You don't really have a God to get angry at if you don't believe in him. And if you don't think to yourself that he could make my situation better if he wanted to. You have to believe those two things to get angry at God. If you don't believe he exists, well, nothing to get mad at. If you don't believe that God could change your life, then you have no expectation. But it's when you believe in God and you know that he could make things better that you're saying, God, why not me? And sometimes when we get to that place is when we quit following him. When we say, oh, y'all had some dreams? Well, hopefully you sleep better tomorrow. Oh, y'all had some dreams? Well, God might could interpret those things. I hope that he'll listen to you. Now, Joseph 
Oh, y'all had some dreams? God's the only one that can interpret them. Tell them to me, and I'll help. God's going to work through me. The ability to still choose to do the right thing, even in the face of bad circumstances, even with the understanding that doing the right thing may not change your situation, is an amazing feat in life. But if you can figure out how to do that, you will find success. Not necessarily success from a world point of view, but you will find success in your heart, and you will definitely find it in the eyes of God. So we've been reading as a staff. We try and pick a book and to go through it and to read it as a staff, and it's something to help us. It's something to, that then maybe can come out and what we teach. And uh, the book we've been reading right now is called Grit, and uh, we've got a picture of it up on the screen, and uh, it's by Angela Duckworth. It's a really good book. And uh, it's not, a, it's not a, you know, a Christian book. It's just a, a, a secular book on, on the idea of grit and passion and perseverance. And one of the things that she really does is, is try to study and look at what is work and, and sticking to something. How does that bring in change other than, you know, just that you're lucky or talented? You know, it, when she surveyed Americans, she found out that we are twice as likely to give credit to hard work as we are to intelligence. Um, and that's, uh, well, no, hard work as to, like, luck or good situation. We're five times more uh, likely to put success that it is necessary to have hard work over intelligence. And I think that's because we all know people who are smart who still make dumb decisions. Um, and uh, maybe, you know, maybe you feel that way about yourself. Uh, I definitely do it myself at times. But hard work is something that in America that we tend to value more highly than other things. And she went about trying to study, is that what really brings about success? Um, and in studying that, she also found out, though, even though we say we value hard work more than luck or just being handed a good situation, or that we value hard work even over great intelligence, that we tend to favor people who are naturals, right? Right? that they're a natural leader, they're a natural speaker, they're a naturally charismatic person, or they're, you know, naturally gifted at this area of uh, expertise or, you know, physically or whatever it may be, that even though we say hard work is the most important, that we, we just give deference to people who we view as naturals. But they did find out that through her study, and you can read the book and look at a whole lot of it, that Highly successful people, it determined much more on both determination and direction than it did just God-given abilities. As she'd called, and it's in the title of the book, they had passion and they had perseverance. That's what gave you grit, sticking to something long enough to get good at it, sticking to something long enough to succeed at it, to get better. It was passion and perseverance. Uh, they actually said that sometimes the naturally gifted people gave up easier when they had to, you know, put the time and energy in it to become better. You know, they could excel to a great higher level than most people just on natural ability, but then to get past that, to become truly great, took the passion and perseverance. They, uh, you know, three, she had three components of what grit was, and having grit was a three-part process. It was finding an activity or a cause of deep interest, so something that you feel is, is, is an interest to you or truly important. Practice. 
which for her and for other people that she you know, relied on, they said that it took 10,000 hours of practice at something to become an expert, to become an expert violinist, to become an expert at a, at a sport, to become an expert in a field of study, to become an expert at, at anything. It took 10,000 hours of practice or repetition to, you know, to be classified as an expert. By the way, that's a lot. It's a whole lot. So it took that idea of finding something that has a deep interest. It took practice, a lot of work, and it took determining a purpose that is larger than oneself, that you had to view what you do as important. And typically, if you viewed it as important and something that could benefit others, you were more likely to stick to it. And so we've enjoyed this book going through as staff. We've got the third part that we're finishing up and, uh, and going to discuss, but just the idea that as, as Christians, too, how do we become grittier? You know, I didn't make it to the uh, men's retreat, but uh, Larry had a, uh, a grit scale that he shared with the men that, uh, that as a staff we went through last week, and uh, Jack blew me and Mitchell away on it, and so he did it a lot better. Mitchell works harder than me, so he's probably going to beat me this week, and so I'm a middle-of-the-road guy, so I was fine. Uh, you know, but uh, it was just that scale of taking, doing those daily things with your family, whether it's prayer with your wife, whether it's, you know, holding hands, whether it's reading the Bible with your kids, whether it's having a personal devotional, whether, you know, just those daily things that we don't think about how they add up. But if we do them, it's what helps us stay more firm within our relationships, within our homes. And you at work... You and whatever endeavors that you have, whether it's work, school, or leading your house, you know those little things that if you don't do them consistently and constantly, that it's going gonna, it's gonna to fall apart. It takes doing the right things consistently to find success. And it's doing those right things consistently that gives you the ability to have grit and to stay firm when things are bad. And so Joseph, in his life, when he went from favored son to prisoner or to slave to prisoner, kept doing the right things consistently. And we know that because his Potiphar you know, elevated him, the prison uh, chief elevated him. Everybody elevated him because he kept doing the right things consistently. So even though his life was on a downward slide, within encapsulated day to day, he was succeeding. He was succeeding, and he chose to succeed by doing the right things consistently, even though it wasn't changing today's situation. He went years and years, 13 years, with doing the right things consistently, not bettering his situation. Can we say that? Can we say that we have enough confidence that we view the, our deep interest in being a Christian is so important that we're willing to spend 10,000 hours doing the right things consistently and that we view it as having a greater purpose than just bringing benefit to ourselves, so that no matter what we face, that we keep gritty, that we stay resolved, that we choose to have an expectant hope that continuing to follow God will pay off even if it doesn't pay off for us in the way that we want. 
So Joseph did that, and it started paying off for everybody else. In verse 9, it says, So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom. And soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. Three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as chief chief cupbearer. And please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. So, because Joseph kept doing you know, the right things the right way, I think is the only reason that he probably wasn't killed out of Potiphar's house. It's the, it's the only reason. I mean, he was in here with more or less political prisoners, right? This wasn't a, a triple homicide guy. This was the cupbearer and the, and the Pharaoh's baker. And so if you don't know what a cupbearer is, it's, it's somebody who bears a cup. They bring the drink to the Pharaoh, to the princes, to people like that. But their more important job was, was guinea pig. I mean, they had to be trusted, very much trusted that they weren't allowing anyone to poison the drink that was brought to the Pharaoh. And so the cupbearer had an extremely important job. He had to be very trustworthy because the, the Pharaoh had to know that when he hands me something to drink, it's safe, right? It's safe. And so the baker, I don't know if the cupbearer made him mad and he lost trust in him for some reason. That's why he got thrown in prison for a little while. I don't know what the baker did. I mean, the baker, obviously, if he's cooking the food, he could also poison the Pharaoh. Or I don't know if he just refused to make like his favorite dishes or if he kept putting too much you know, seasoning in it. I'm not sure. I don't know how as a baker you get thrown into prison, but he did. And so Joseph went from Potiphar's house, and my view is that only because he did things the right way consistently and Pharaoh had so much you know, confidence and trust in him that even when he was accused of these things, it's the only thing that kept him alive. And here in prison, that he kept doing the right things consistently is why when he said to the cupbearer and to the baker, God is the only one that can interpret dreams. Tell me your dreams. I'll interpret for you. They knew Joseph's character. They knew who he was. They watched how he interacted. They watched how he treated people. And that's the only reason they would say, okay. I mean, honestly, you may go to a friend and say, you'll never believe this dream that I had last night. And then you may tell them your weird dream and everything else. If they start coming back with an explanation explanation to you about what it's about, do you trust it? Do you really think it's true? No, your dream is crazy, and their interpretation is probably just as crazy. So these guys literally felt, okay, Joseph, you tell us what our dreams mean, and we will believe it. That only came because he did the right things consistently. He was resolved to live following God with an expectant hope, even though day after day his situation didn't change. But, It put him in the opportunity to help other people. It put him in the opportunity to to elevate them. It put him in the opportunity for them to have confidence in Joseph. And here he gave a very positive dream interpretation, right? Very positive one to the cupbearer. 
and said, in three days' time, you're going to be restored to your position. And when you do, please, please, please remember me and talk good about me to the Pharaoh. Tell him what I did for you. Tell him I don't deserve to be here. And so Joseph doing the right thing consistently is what got him his shot in front of the one person that would be able to help his situation today. Right? God put that situation together. It was there. But that opportunity had to be followed through by Joseph choosing to do the right things. Had he ignored the cupbearer? Had he had fallen away from God? Had he had decided that God isn't in the business of interpreting dreams? Because I had dreams. I had dreams 10 years ago, and I'm stuck in prison. I had hopes 10 years ago, and I'm still here. I've believed in God, and I've done everything God has wanted me to do. And I am still here, struggling. But instead of letting that push him to say, I'm not going to follow, he said, God is still good. God still does good things. God's still going to work through me, even in my bad situation. Tell me your dreams. So, when you go on and you finish the story, very good dream interpretation for the cupbearer, not so much for the baker. Verse 16, when the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation, he said to Joseph, I had a dream too. In my dream, there were three baskets of white pastries stacked on my head. The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh, but the birds came and ate them from the basket on my head. This is what the dream means, Joseph told them. The three baskets also represent three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impel your body on a pole. Then birds will come back and peck away at your flesh. At which point the beggar is like, I should have just not asked. And in verse 20, Pharaoh's birthday came three days later, and he prepared a banquet for all his officials and staff, and he summoned the chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the other officials. And he then, he handed a rose to the cup, no, he uh, then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impelled the chief baker just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. I always view that. I always, I always just think in my mind, you know, Pharaoh brings these two guys in. And they're both sitting there. And, of course, the cupbearer's like really hoping and excited. And the baker's just hoping this Joseph guy's a liar. And, and it, it literally is just like a, almost a game show to me. It's like, yeah, he's the winner of the grand prize. And the other guy, go get the sharp pole. And, uh, but it comes out, as Joseph said, right? The dreams were interpreted correctly. Everything went forward as God had given Joseph the ability to see and envision. But the cupbearer forgot him. Cupbearer forgot all about him. So, you read chapter 40 here, and we're done with chapter 40. That's it. It ends saying, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Well, yet. It's the great thing about finishing a book instead of stopping halfway through when you don't like the story. Because if the story stopped here, it's about as depressing as it gets. You got a good guy doing the right thing consistently, 
And it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And when he gets one ray of hope, right? One ray of hope that this cupbearer will hear the good report, will live just as God interpreted the dream through Joseph, that he will be so happy that he will tell the Pharaoh. I mean, you would think that that would be a natural thing to do, say, I knew this was going to happen today because this guy back in prison interpreted my dreams. But instead, he was so overcome with excitement. And guess what? Back to two weeks ago when I said, when you have dreams and then you get so put out and you get so mad, it hurts so bad because other people don't rush to help you live out your dreams. Other people don't help to push to always encourage you and help you take the steps forward. The cupbearer just got back to his own life after fearing death. He just got back to, if he had a family, back to his family, his friends, his house, his dog. He just got back to everything. And so he forgot about Joseph because his life had changed forever and he was back to enjoying life instead of expecting death. But for Joseph, he was forgotten and he stayed there in prison for a while longer. A total of 13 years in slavery and in prison. Because no matter how much good he did, it seemed that his situation would not change. But yet he woke up every day, every day, and he chose to live after the principles of God. Instead of being resolved to the idea that it's worthless and it doesn't matter, he was resolved to the expectant hope that living after God will bring its own blessings. Just because God hasn't answered yes today does not mean his answer is no. I know that it feels like that at times. I know that we feel disheartened. We feel discouraged. We feel depressed. We feel angry. We feel upset. We feel like all this is just spinning our wheels and maybe worthless and it just, why? And especially when you see the same things work out for other people when they're not working out for you. It's like, God, you have this, this cupbearer who doesn't even believe in you, and yet his dream gets interpreted and answered within three days. Mine, 13 years. I'm still here. This guy, three days. Mine, thousands upon thousands of days, and I'm stuck. And I'm the one who believes in you, who's following you, and who interpreted his dream for him because I'm the one who believes in you and follows you. And that can make us angry and give up or we can be resolved to have hope and that's a choice if your hope is based and if your decision to follow God is based on how it works out for you and how following God benefits you then you will give up right because no matter how good life is there are times that life is bad no matter how many great things God has answered, there are times that his answer may not be no, but he sure hasn't said yes yet. And you will give up if that's why you follow God, if that's your expectation. Colossians chapter 3, it's the last passage I'm going to read today, but in verse 17, it says, And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. In verses 23 and 24, it says, To work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. 
So it doesn't matter what you do in life. God's message to us throughout Scripture, but especially here in Paul's message to the the Colossians, was that whatever you do, work at it with the same ethic, with the same determination, with the same honesty, with the same, you know, with the same push as if you were doing it directly for God. So Joseph, whether you're a slave in the house of Potiphar, you serve Potiphar as if you're serving the Lord. If you're a prisoner in prison for something that you didn't do, then you live with honesty and integrity just as much as the person you're surrounded by was God instead of all these criminals. And for Jeremy, it doesn't matter how many times you've asked God for a yes and he hasn't answered yet. It doesn't even matter how many times you've asked for a yes and God said no. It doesn't matter if I feel that doing the right things the right way consistently don't seem to be panning out today or even tomorrow or even for the next 13 years as they did for Joseph. Jeremy, you live and do those things as if God is walking beside you every step. And that's how we all should live. And I can tell you that when you live that way, you can either choose to view it as worthless or it will you can choose to have hope through it. And I'm telling you, having hope is a much better place to be. Joseph truly believed. It doesn't tell us this, but he had to. He had to to keep pushing that he truly believed that what he was doing was important and that it had greater purpose than just helping himself. He got to see his work and his lifestyle help others. He did. Sometimes you don't see that. Sometimes you don't see how doing the right things the right way impacts other people, how it benefits other people, but it does. Definitely sometimes we don't see how it's setting us up for success in the future, but it will. And none of us can know how following God today will bring blessings in eternity, but that is a guaranteed promise. Everything else might happen, but following God, I guarantee you, will bring you blessings through him. Thank you for listening. We invite you to take some next steps this week. One, list out the ways following God is beneficial, even if it doesn't make your dreams come true. Two, if we quit following God because our life isn't going in our desired direction, do we blame God or instead accept our devotion to him as lacking? Determine or ask for help how to change your attitude towards God so you'll be resolved to follow Him no matter what. For more information about small groups, Pathway Kids, or anything Pathway-related, contact us at pathwaybaptist.com connect.